When you, church family, come to the book of Acts and the first church is formed, it makes this statement there in Acts 42. It says they were devoted, and that word devoted means to be passionately and deeply committed to something in the face of any and all opposition. And they were devoted, it says, to four things, committed to doing them no matter what the opposition was, whether it was a threat or just forgetfulness. They were devoted to four things. That is the apostles' teaching. That would be for you and I, the, the preaching of the word of God. To the breaking of bread, that would be the Lord's Supper. To fellowship, that would be the mutual sharing of, of Christ and, and taking care of one another and knowing each other. But then the fourth, fourth thing is they were devoted to prayer. Now, I don't know where along church history, but congregational prayer just has not been the norm in much of recent church history. And, and church family, I think we are... Uh, I think we are compelled by Christ today to spend a little time in prayer given the nature of where we are at uh, as a world. And so um, if you came in this morning, you had the opportunity to, to be handed a, a sheet we intend for you to take home praying for Ukraine. If you didn't get one, we've got them down front on all of the pews uh, for you to take home and use. But here's, here's what I want to ask us to do this morning. We've done this before. I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to ask us, if you're willing, for all of us to pray aloud. Um, the Lord will hear each and every one of us as if he, we were the only person that were speaking to him. But I want us to pray aloud uh, all together. And then when it wanes, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to have two points of prayer this morning. So when it wanes, I'll give you the second and we'll pray aloud again. And then I will pray to close and we will move to the sermon. And here's what I'm going to ask. We've, I'm going to ask if you're on this side of the center aisle here in a moment when we pray. That you would pray for the people of Ukraine, for their safety, for their protection, for their shelter, and for their deliverance. If you're on this side of the aisle, I would ask that as Scripture commands us to live a peaceful and quiet life and says that if we want that, we are to pray for our rulers, for our leaders. I would ask that if you're on this side, that you would pray for the rulers and leaders of our nation and other nations, that God would give them wisdom, that they would accept his wisdom, and that peace would come as a result of their decisions. And then in a moment after that, we're gonna, I'll give you the next point. So I'm going to open us up in prayers. how it's going to work. I will say, dear Heavenly Father, and I will start praying. And I'm just going to invite that you would pray right where you're at. If you're online, you choose what you want to pray for, and you join us as well. Uh, but we will pray, and when it wanes, I will lead us in one more aspect of prayer before we go to the message. So let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you.
Next thing, and I want all of us in here to pray, and I'll, I'll say, Dear Heavenly Father, again, and we can all pray aloud. Scripture commands us to remember our brothers and sisters in chains as though in chains with them. So right now we have brothers and sisters by the thousands in Ukraine, and the world's eyes are upon them. And I would ask that we would lift them up, that they would stand strong and stand mighty for the glory of God as the world watches. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine in Christ, and then we will go to the word this morning. Father, we come before you and we lift up our brothers and sisters. Father, we come before you as a church family. God, the reality is all of us have far less power than what we really think. The reality is we live in a broken and bent world where suffering is real. And we're where we as human beings are really capable of God of wicked decisions that have harsh ramifications. And, and so, Lord, we just come. We come because we do not have power, but you have all power. We come, Father, because we recognize that our battle is not one of flesh and blood and geopolitical nations, Lord, but our battle is of a spiritual kind of, of the forces of darkness against what your created purpose is. And so, Lord, we do. We lift up our brothers and sisters and ask that you would strengthen them today, that you would protect them, Lord, that they would display the glory of your name well. God, we do ask for our leaders that they would be receptive to your wisdom, that there would be peaceful solutions. God, and we are looking to you, the Lord of the battle to bring deliverance and peace. Jesus, as we open up your word, may we do so with humility. May we do so with longingness, looking to you to speak. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church family, years ago, I've, I've shared brief, uh, briefly about it before, but, but years ago, uh, almost 15 years ago, my, uh, my Mimi, my grandmother, was murdered at her front door. And in the aftermath of that, one of the realities that all of us have had to work through uh, is not just the, the, um, 
the loss of security, but there is something for us about our home. Home is to be a place that is safe, a place that is secure, a place that you think as crazy as the world is, if I can just be in my home. And what happened, for me at least, in in the aftermath of, of Mimi's murder is this sense that not even home is safe. All of a sudden, there's no real place of, of personal security. All of a sudden, fear and terror has arrived at the doorstep, and there's no way to get away. And church family, in many ways, we find ourselves at a point, uh, even today, as I, as I look through headlines, we spent two years dealing with COVID. We've had upheavals and protests and riots in our own country and others. We've had volatile elections. We've had, we face now inflation. When you pull out all of a sudden, we see for the first time in many of our lifetimes, established nations crossing boundaries, attacking other nations. And then today, seeing the headline that in Russia they have given certain permissions to move forward with their nuclear arsenal. The reality is, church family, we live in a day and age when fear has arrived at all of our doorsteps, and the question is, how do we respond? And so we're going to take a break from Philippians this morning, and and as I prayed through things this week, felt like in light of where we are at, uh, it behooves us to answer this question, because understand, for us as believers, how we respond to fear at our doorstep echoes throughout the rest of this world, declaring who our God is or isn't, and what is true or what is not. So I'm going to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, if you open your Bible right in the middle, you'll find yourself in Psalms. Just flip several books to your left, and you will find 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Chapter 14 is going to begin looking at King Asa. King Asa is the grandson of King Rehoboam who is the son of Solomon. He is the rightful king of all Israel, but when he ascends to the throne, the kingdom splits in half, and Rehoboam only rules the southern half, that is, Judah and Benjamin and and what Levites remain loyal to the Davidic crown. And under Rehoboam, uh, he will lead the people, the southern kingdom, to do more evil in the sight of the Lord than even what was done during the days of the judges. Now, sparing you a history lesson, you and I would be revolted by the kind of wickedness that took place under the judges. So the fact that Rehoboam took them into even greater idolatry and even greater wickedness, it's really mind-numbing. His son Abijah, or if you're reading in Kings, uh, uh, Abijam, he comes to the throne and continues all of the idolatry and wickedness of his father, and so he dies, look, 2 Chronicles 14, so verse 1, so Abijah slept with his fathers, they buried him in the city of David, and his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed, it was at rest, peace, for 10 years during his days. Now Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. 
For he removed the foreign altars and the high places. He tore down the sacred pillars. He cut down the asherim. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed and there was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. All of a sudden, in the midst of a, a wicked nation, in, in really three generations of kings who failed to walk with God, here comes Asa. And we don't know what drove him to do this, but all of a sudden Asa comes to the throne and it says he did good. He did right, those things which are righteous, which are morally excellent, which are in line with God. And, and what did he do? He comes in and looks at the idolatry. He removes the foreign altars. Those would be those places of worships to the pagan gods of other nations. He tears down the high places. Those would be places of worship built up on a high terrain where, where people could see. He tears down the sacred pillars usually each one dedicated to a different God, and in this case, likely the Baals. He cuts down the Asherim, the, the female uh, goddess of Baal, like a totem pole. He cuts them down. Not only does he, does he seek to remove the idolatry, and not only does he do it in his own immediate area, it says later he will remove the incense altars in high places from all the cities that are in the kingdom. Not only that, but he leads and commands the people to seek the Lord their God, to observe, to commit themselves to the Lord's ways, his law, and his commandment. And as he does this in this time of peace that the Lord has given, he builds up and strengthens the nation, builds fortified cities. He, he, he raises up in verse 8, he has an army of 300,000 from Judah, of 280,000 from Benjamin, all of them valiant, fierce, heroic is what it means, warriors. Verse 7, he says to the people of Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars because the land is still ours. Why? Because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. We have sought him. It, it's, it's, it's a term that's, that means more than just seeking. It's the idea of knowing God with a single-minded and wholehearted devotion. We've not just sought after God. We, we're seeking, we're knowing him. Think about what we've walked through in, there in Philippians, Paul's single-hearted desire to know him. What, what Asa's saying to the people is that we have sought God to know him, and God has blessed us with a peace in our land. He rightfully recognizes the peace is not a result of their effort, but is a gift that God has granted as the people have sought to do away with their sinful idolatry and to... Walk with God. Ten years of peace, of godliness, of righteousness, walking well with God, seeing people turn from idolatry. Now, look what happens, though. Verse 9. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Mereshah. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in, in the valley of uh, Zephathah at Mereshah. 
Here's what happens. Imagine the news. Here, everything is peaceful. Everything is calm. And someone comes running into the king. King Asa, king, king. There is an army headed this way. The literal Hebrew is thousands upon thousands. Many translate, translate it to be a million because there is no Hebrew word for a million. And if it is, in fact, a million, that's not abnormal for, uh, for this army. This army is likely tied to the nation of Egypt, which would have been the, the superpower of the world in that day. For them to have a million men would not be impossible. But interestingly enough, if, in fact, a million men, this is the largest army to ever come against the people of God in every part of Scripture. So imagine Asa leading the people rightly, following God. And then here comes this news. Asa, the largest army in the history of our nation, is coming our way. They outnumber us at minimum two to one. You could imagine maybe if we're in Asa's shoes, the thoughts of, why God? What, what did we do wrong? What, what's the issue? Why are you allowing this? The questions, the, the worries, the fears. You could imagine maybe some would go, no, I don't want to believe that report. That's, that's, probably just, uh, that's probably just fake news and misinformation. We're going to go about our daily life. Or you can imagine others who hear the news and they look and go, we, we, we can't do it. There's no way. This is the most powerful and largest army in the world. And, and, and the desire maybe to just curl up into the fetal position and stick your head under a rock in fear. Neither of which is what Asa does. You catch it there in the text. What does Asa do? And Asa went out. It means to go take up the field for battle. And they drew up. They, they took line. They, they took positions for battle. And they went to meet him, meeting him, meaning face to face. What does Asa do? He gets the army. They suit up and they march out to the front line and they show up. But why? Look with me at verse 11. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there was no one besides you to help between the powerful and those who have no power. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you, and in your name we have come out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Here's what he says. He says, Lord, we have suited up and we have showed up because you are our God. You promised this land to us. You called us to defend the land. We are here not under our banner, but we are under your banner for your glory. And we recognize that they are powerful and we don't match up. But you are almighty and we trust you. We're here because we are certain and assured of who you are, your character and your power, and so we are standing for your glory. So help us. The cry is help us, deliver us. That word help meaning supply that which we lack. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa, before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And the rest of the verses go on to describe the pursuit of Asa and his army of the Ethiopians as they not only chase them out of the territory and resoundingly defeat them, but even regain territory Judah had lost in its prior idolatry. See, Asa and his army, they, 
They suit up for battle. They show up on the front lines all because there is a, a daily living posture where they are looking up at the Almighty God. And so they come out, they look in dependence upon the Lord, and they see and experience the Lord's deliverance. A deliverance, by the way, which in the story of the Old Testament has long-lasting effects. Because it will be hundreds of years before you ever see another army come out of the continent of Africa to attack to attack Judah. It's a resounding victory. They gain the spoils of war. They see the, the deliverance of God, and they return back to Jerusalem. You see, quite literally, we ask the question, what happens when fear arrives on your doorstep? What happens when even in the most secure and sacred of places, all of a sudden, fear and terror hit, and you realize you are powerless? What do you do? It's exactly what happens to Asa here. They are seeking the Lord. They are following the Lord. They are going about their daily life, and terror arrives in their land. And church family, what Asa provides the example for you and I is when you and I are faced with overwhelming fear and unprecedented crisis, when fear shows up at our doorstep, the response from you and I is to seek out and dwell in the peace of God while suiting up, showing up, and looking up. We seek out his peace and rest. Did you catch that as we, as we read through the text? There are at least five words in the first eight verses that refer to peace, rest, undisturbed. There is this emphasis, this repetition in that passage driving to the fact that for the first time in years, there is a rest and a calm that is over the land. And the reason for that, Asa tells us, is because rest and peace come from God alone. Church family, you and I need to understand today, God alone is the giver of rest and peace. You and I don't bring ourselves rest and peace. You and I's solutions, whether personally or globally, are not what brings rest or peace. Rest and peace come from God. They're gifts of God. <clears throat> they are his alone to give. Here, that peace and rest was over the land. And you and I might be prompted to say, man, I wish we lived under Israel where we had that promise of, of peace for our land. But I've got news for you, church family. We have access to a greater peace than peace for the land. Because the people of Israel may have had peace in their land, but they were still under a sacrificial system in which they could not get secure peace with God. You and I live in the day and age where we may not have peace in our land, but no matter what we face in our land, you and I have access to complete and total eternal peace and rest with God. Peace and rest where you and I are not having to rely on our own works of righteousness to try to give us that relationship. Where you and I are not having to live in a fearful wonder, does God accept me? If we are in Christ, we have been justified by faith. And Romans 5 says we have peace with God, period. Which means for you and I, if you want to know his peace, you have to know him. 
If you are in this room and you do not know Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, in a response of repentance and faith, not because you grew up in church, not because your parents were Christians, not because you've done the right things, but a a, a moment where you are convicted by the spirit of your sins, the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done, if that has not happened in your life, you cannot ever know rest in peace. But church family, if you've responded by grace through faith to Jesus Christ's offer of salvation, the Lord gives us peace. Jesus says in John 14, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, but I give you, so do not be afraid. You see, the peace that you and I have access to, that God grants us, is a peace that even in the midst of hardship, of trial, even in the midst of the battles we will see in this world, you and I can face it with a calm with a wholeness of being, with what the Old Testament would call shalom. Wholeness, soundness, peace with God, peace filling our hearts. Now, church family, understand, if we want to experience that peace in our lives, it's going to mean we've got to walk in, in, in faithful trust and obedience. All right, the, the, the gift of peace is not conditional. God gives it as a gift of grace. But you and I's experience is going to be conditional upon whether or not we actually walk in the Spirit. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, which means you and I don't bring ourselves peace. It's the Holy Spirit who produces peace, the experience of peace in our hearts. So we've got to walk in right fellowship with Christ if we want to experience his peace daily. And as we experience his peace and rest, understand, church family, we must labor faithfully, not lazily. Did you catch that in the text? While they they were experiencing peace and calm in their midst, what were they doing? They were getting rid of the idols. They were building up fortifications. They were going about the work and will of God. Church family, as you and I have seasons of peace and calm, do we continue to labor faithfully in the work and will of God, or do we get sidetracked by all the many wonderful things you can experience when the, when the land is calm? You see, the reason Asa, when fear shows up on the doorstep, is not curled up in the fetal position, is not terrified. The reason there is a response of faith is because he walked in steadfast faithfulness when there was calm and rest. He spent peace time building up and doing what God called, not just figuring out what all things he could do. You see, church family, many times, all of a sudden, we've moved. I saw our youth are having a, a 90s night. And I heard Matt talking about wear 90 stuff, and I almost said, well, I will not wear my 90 stuff because I will not get a Chili Bowl haircut, and I will not wear Jinko jean shorts. <laughs> yeah, there's like, yeah, there's a couple people. We've got a couple millennials in here who are like, I remember that. Uh, I made a joke the other day, though. I said, I remember the 90s and how much my parents go, oh, man, we just wish the world was like it was grown up. Well, man, how many of us would love the steadfast calm of the 90s? But here's the danger. Perhaps you and I, in the midst of 
how turbulent things have become, whether it's stuff that's going on in the world or forget the world, maybe the turbulence and the battles you face today are, are, are having to deal with hardships in your job or having to deal with finding a job or having to deal with how do you deal, how do you respond to, to that group of bullies there at school? How do you, I, maybe it's something deeply personal. For many of us though, perhaps the reason we struggle to know the peace of Christ in the midst of the conflict is because when things were calm, we busied our life with every distraction we could and we didn't faithfully seek the Lord and trust him in everything everyday mundane calm. You see, that's the secret behind Asa. The reason he's there is because when it was in peaceful and calm, he was faithful to do what God called him to do. But we need to understand, even when God's, when God allows you and I to experience seasons of, of rest, of calm, Understand that just because you and I have the peace of God does not mean God keeps the battle from arriving on our door. Did you catch that? There's nothing. Why does this army come against Asa? Asa's, it's not because Asa sinned. It's not because the people of God were sinning. Just because you and I walk rightly with God does not mean that God removes trial, hardship, suffering, the battle. We know from James 1 that, that we should count it joy when we encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance, and it's endurance which we allow to have its full effect, which takes us to maturity. Quite literally this, we should rejoice when we face trials. Why? Because those trials produce in us endurance, and there is no way to get to maturity in Christ without endurance. And we can be confident in the midst of trial, because why? God promises that, all, that, he, that he will not fail to finish what he starts. We've seen that in Philippians. We know from 1 Peter 1 that the testing of our faith is more valuable than the finest of metals and than gold. Why? Because it purifies our faith, which when the Lord returns, he rewards. But not only that, we know that we won't just face trial and hardship in our faith. We know because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. Take up that instrument of shame, of death, of torture. Take up that instrument that shows you are hated and begrudged by the world. Why are you hated by the world, he says? Because the world first hated me. You and I can walk rightly with Jesus, and it does not mean he will keep the battle from us. We've got to understand that. What we can be sure of is he will use that battle to grow us. There will be a reward from that, but we cannot allow ourselves when all of a sudden we see the trial and the pain and the hardship to go, Lord, where are you? What's wrong? What, what, what? Listen, no one walked more perfectly with the Father than Jesus, and no one suffered like Christ. The battle will come. And when the battle comes, because we know the peace of God, church family, we've got to make sure we suit up and show up. Now, I'm being cute with that, suit up and show up, but we've got to suit up and show up. We've got to, to, to arrive. We've got, did you catch that with, with the battle? They don't just sit there and go, well, we'll just sit here and, Lord, you should do something. No, they're called to defend the land. They put on their armor. They show up. They march out to the battlefield. They're there. Church family, you and I have armor. It's called the armor of God. Amen. You and I have a, are fighting in a, in a real battle, in a real war, and we need to remember what battle that is. 
You and I are not fighting in in a battle for a, a global game of risk played out in real life. But you and I are fighting a battle against powers and principalities and forces of darkness. You and I are fighting a battle in which we are actively striving to share the gospel and see souls saved for eternity. You and I are fighting that battle in the midst of a very real war and battle where Jesus says about the cultures of this world, they are ruled by the demonic forces. And I don't mean that in a weird way, but the reality is this world is both broken and sin, and there is a real enemy with a real demonic army who is engaged in furthering that brokenness. And you and I live in the midst of it. And in the midst of it, you and I cannot pull back and act like it's not real and not happening and distract ourselves with lollipops and binge-watching Netflix, nor can we come over here and afford to carry out what we feel. It's not a problem if we feel like we just want to hide our head under a rock, but, but we can't. We can't as believers. No, instead, we should suit up and we should show up. Faith and trust is not passive. We don't blindly accept fate in the name of trusting God. This isn't fatalism. We don't have an excuse to sit back and not do the hard work God has called us to. But in dependence, we suit up and show up. Think about the army. Listen, God, they cry out for God's deliverance. But understand, God's deliverance in this instance still meant they had to clang swords against someone from the other side. Still meant they had to block blows with their shields. Still meant they had to, 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 to line up their bows and arrows. Still meant they had to, to, to throw their shields. They still are active in their fighting, but it's under the Lord's leading and deliverance. Let me just be clear here. Maybe the battle in your life is, is something personal. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting God, trusting God to get this A on this test. Have you studied it all? No, just trusting God. Pretty sure that's not what trusting God would be in that case. You should study to the best of your ability and trust God to honor it. Just trusting God, just trusting God to get me a job. Have you filled out any applications for jobs? Nope. Trusting God. Trusting God to bring healing to this inner turmoil that I've, that I've undergone. You taking captive your thoughts? Are you asking anybody for help? Nope. Trusting God. Trusting God to guide and direct my decisions, but I don't really care to hold my life accountable to what his revealed will is. See, church family, for whatever reason, oftentimes when we say we're trusting God, sometimes it's a smokescreen for laziness. Trusting God does not give you and I the right to be lazy. We, 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 we engage. We do what he's called us to do. We suit up. We show up. We understand that many times the Lord chooses to move through the, through the obedient, dependent actions of his people, which means in days and times like this, think about this. God calls us to pray. It's why we prayed earlier. We took, we took almost 10 minutes to pray, church family. Why? Because God commands us to pray. But we don't often always do it. We don't do it as a congregation often. He commands us to pray, to get on our knees in prayer and fasting for God's miraculous deliverance, to walk in line with Christ, to stand firm in his word in the midst of a hostile world that says, listen, let's find a way to twist scripture so you can get your Jesus too and do whatever you want. 
See, church family, what does it mean for us in the midst of where we find ourselves today? We need to take the giant hit from heaven as we look around at a world on the brink and realize that the pursuit of this world is not what you and I were called to. If you and I are in Christ, we're called to know him, we're called to walk humbly with him, and we are called to strive side by side for his mission. But understand this, what drives our suiting up and showing up is not to work hard for God. What drives our desire to be obedient is our looking up. Did you catch that phrase? So the only reason they came to the battlefield is because there is a confident, unwavering, fully dependent posture of faith in God Almighty. There's an unwavering trust on Asa's part that God alone is the sovereign ruler of the world. Lord, there's no one besides you to help in battle between the powerful and powerless. Now, church family, understand, you and I, if we're going to suit up and show up, it's got to be because we are unwaveringly and in total dependence, looking up, resting upon God, resting upon the fact that he is the sovereign ruler, both over the events of our life and also the events of history and the rest of the world. Now, here's what I mean by that, just to be clear. I don't mean that God when we say he is sovereign ruler, I don't mean that God causes all things because that means that God is the author of evil, which he's not. I don't mean by God is sovereign that there's some form of a spiritual fatalism in which choices you and I make have absolutely no value. It's already predetermined. Don't mean that either. That would go contrary to Scripture where God seems to give us a, a type of free will in which you and I are given the ability and responsibility to make moral, right or wrong, good or bad, personal choices that have consequences that echo from now to all eternity. What I do mean when we say God is sovereign is this. There is nothing that comes up, no battle that shows up in your life personally or in this world's life that surprises God. There may be some battles that he is active in, 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 in causing and allowing to try and test and grow our faith, but there is nothing that comes that surprises him or catches him off guard. At minimum, he has to allow it. Nothing can touch your life or my life or this world's life that does not first pass through his sovereign and loving hand. It also means this. God is not threatened by what is going on, nor will he allow it to jeopardize his plans. Humanity may rage back and forth on the deck of the ship, but God's hands are firmly locked on the steering wheel. And the ship will go where God says it will go. See, here's the hard part as, as, as we think about where we're at today, as we think about things in our world, as we think about maybe even personal things in our life, things, battles, trials we're facing. Here's the hard part, church family. The challenging part of understanding God, God's sovereignty in our current circumstances is that we are living actively in a broken world looking from the bottom up. We can't see the whole plan. We don't see what's all going on. We don't see what's around the corner. The other hard part is, is the painful part. The painful part of resting in God's sovereignty is that we do, in fact, live in a broken world, and God doesn't exempt us from the consequences of sin. What I mean by God does not exempt us is you and I live in a broken world where we're really susceptible to hurt and pain. And there's no part of Scripture where God says he'll exempt us from that. He didn't exempt himself. Jesus experienced it all. But what you and I need to understand is God is not shaking. He is, in fact, in control 
no matter what battle shows up at you and I's doorstep. So we're not just unwaveringly confident in his sovereignty, we're also unwaveringly confident that he who is the sovereign ruler is also the deliverer of his people. Do you see the content of their prayer? Lord, help us, deliver us. We see God provide deliverance, and he routes the Ethiopians. See, God comes to aid. He comes to deliver. He comes to demonstrate his faithfulness to his word. Now, understand, church family, as you and I face, whether it is a literal battle geopolitically in the world, whether it is a spiritual battle of temptation and sin and whatever the enemy is flooding your mind with and assaulting you, whatever it is or whatever it is in between, Because we are on the other side of the cross, destined for eternity, if we're in Christ, God may or may not pull away all the hardship. But understand, the worst that this world can do, which is sin separating us from God and death being a final forever victor of our lives. If you are in Christ, he has delivered you and I completely and totally. God may not take away the enemy from pounding you, but understand day after day, whatever the enemy is throwing at your mind, trying to tempt you with, if you will rest in the righteousness of Christ, there is the ability to look at the enemy and say, no. Why? Because God has delivered us from the power of sin. When even if God does not spare us from facing death, And I'm not saying this to minimize the sorrow for those of us who experience the loss of a loved one. But when it comes time for you and I to face death, whatever means that is, we're good. Because he won. And because he won, we have victory now and we have victory forever. Understand, he is the God who delivers. Ultimately, we must place an unwavering and dependent and completely reliant trust in who he is. And if we are absolutely confident of who he is as sovereign ruler, as as deliverer of his people, if we are absolutely confident of who he is, if our, our mind and our meditation is saturated with who he says he is in his word, then when fear shows up at our doorstep, we will be able to suit up and to show up and to stand up. We will suit up in his armor. We will show up for his glory, and we will stand up under his banner because we are looking up fixed with our eyes on Christ who is seated at the right hand of God and who's coming back soon. As an old poet said, have thou not learned what thou art often told, a truth still sacred and believed of old, that no success attends upon spears and swords, unless that the battle is the Lord's. The psalmist would say, we do not boast in our, our chariots and our armies, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. How do we respond, church family, when we see all that's going on? We respond by making sure our eyes are less, are making sure our, the eyes of our faith are less influenced by the news app and the TV screen and are more influenced by the glory of the God that we look up and see seated firmly in heaven. When I was in college, I had the chance to spend a summer overseas, and 
As I spent that summer overseas one day, we, we, were, we were staying in local churches and we were teaching the people conversational English so that they could get a, a, a well-paying job. They, they would learn grammatical English in school, but they needed to know how to speak conversationally. And, and a good-paying job, by the way, I asked one of them, what is a good-paying job? And they said, if I can make a dollar an hour, that's a great-paying job. And as I went down the hallway, it was a Sunday afternoon or one off time, and I went down the hallway to do some laundry uh, in the bathroom. We had to just use the kitchen sinks to wash some clothes. And I heard across, uh, out out, through the open window, across the courtyard, I heard this group of people singing with a passion, with, with an unwavering confidence in the voices of their praise. They were singing, our God is an awesome God who reigns. I heard that song, and I flashed back to just a month or two prior in school where many in my generation, when they hear older praise songs, they would, they would make fun. That's, that's, it's just not artistic enough. It's just not quality music. It's just not, and they'd come up with these things, and I, I remember just hearing, and I, I loved that song, so it's part of why it caught me, but I remember sitting and hearing and thinking, that's part of our problem, is we're more wrapped up in... How's the quality of the song sound? Whereas these people are over here at the top of their lungs crying out. It's not a matter of what the song sounds like or its artistic merit. It's the fact that they're declaring our God is an awesome God. And that is why the prayers of that Ukrainian church in Kremenchuk, Ukraine, faithfully endured all through the communism of the Soviet Union and without firing a bullet through their prayer and faithful perseverance for Christ, the empire fell. But why... We over here are so easily frightened when things become hard. Because when we sing, our God is an awesome God, I'm not so sure it's with unwavering faith. But that day when I listened to those Ukrainian youth singing that song, understanding what that really meant in the lives of their families, they meant it. They meant it then. They mean it now. Church family, the question is not if or when fear and battle shows up on a door. The question is not if, it's when fear and battle show up on our doorstep. The question will be, will you and I act like it's not there? Will we stick our head under a rock or will we suit up, show up all because we look up? And it matters because how we respond tells the world whether or not the awesome God we say we believe in really is. Father, We do just declare you are an awesome God. God, and this is not going to be the end. I don't know when you're coming back, Jesus. None of us do. You say that clearly. I do know we're one day closer. You say as the days get closer to your coming, it's going to be more of what we're seeing today in our world. And there's going to be plenty of reason to fear and to either fall into despair or act like it's not there. On the other side, Lord, every one of us are facing personal battles in this room. Tragedies, family tragedies, uh, hardships at school or work, uh, temptations, thoughts flooding from the Lord, 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 that we face battles all the time. And you are an awesome God who is almighty, who rules sovereignly, whose heart is to deliver your people, to see salvation come, 
to the world. So, Father, may we, Lord, I do, I just confess too often it's far too easy to live day in, day out, wishing I could just run and hide under a rock. But, Lord, you have placed us here. You have left us here as your sons and daughters to be your ambassadors to this world. God, may we not fail to suit up in your armor, to show up under your banner, to have eyes locked, looking up, confident in who you say you are, all for your glory. Holy Spirit, as you move now, may you find a faithful response. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.